Good morning, everybody. Uh, you are listening to Driving Theology, and I'm Mike. And I am about to pull out and go to work. It is a rainy June morning here in Japan. And lots been going on in the world, as always. Um, you know, sometimes I, I hope, well, I think and, you know, imagine that maybe things are getting better. You know, like when, uh, when, when a certain president gets into office, you think, well, now things are going to get better. You know, maybe things will settle down. And, and there is a, a sense that that happens once in a while, a bit. Right, some some uh, men in office do seem to have a calming effect uh, on everybody else. Uh, in that, you know, that they they are um, a unifying figure, uh, perhaps more than a polarizing figure. Um, you hope that's the case sometimes. Um, it isn't, right? It isn't. Um, no matter who is in office, the fact that we have a, by and large, two-party system means that a lot of people are going to be disenfranchised uh, when their candidate did not uh, get elected. And so it's kind of part and parcel to... Uh, living in a democracy uh, where the majority rules, but, you know, the majority uh, isn't always a big majority. Sometimes it's a, you know, it's barely a majority. And so that means you've got a lot of disenfranchised people in your, uh, in your country who feel like, you know, the wrong guy got in office. And I, I have a feeling there may have been a time when we would go you know, we'd shrug our shoulders and go, oh, well, you know, let's roll up our sleeves and, and work for a better country. You know, uh, nothing we can do about it now. Might as well make the best of it kind of feeling. But I don't, I don't, I hope that was the case. But actually, I don't know that that was ever the case. Uh, I think more than likely, people start rolling up their sleeves and figuring out how they cannot lose the next election. Uh, that comes around in, in four years. Um, that's probably more like it. And then they do everything they can to sabotage uh, and discredit the person who actually got elected. Which is bad, right? It's bad for the country. It's just bad for everything. And that's probably what happened when Trump was elected. And that's probably what happened when Biden was elected. And, and I tell you... I, there's a part of me that kind of wants to be involved in all this, that feels like, you know, um, <clears throat> there's some good to be done in politics. But, you know, that's, that was the downfall, I believe, of authentic uh, following of Christ, was this, this idea that, that, you know, Christ needs to have a, a place of power, that Christians need to be 
in positions of power so that we can um, more efficiently uh, spread the gospel. But the problem is that's never really worked. The gospel changed, right? We, we started spreading a different gospel in order to uh, in order to stay in with power, to in order to be accepted by power. And so, when you get in bed with power, uh, when church gets in bed with power, uh, the baby that comes from that is going to be different, right? It's not going to be. It's not going to be the, the. I know this is kind of sounding racist. I'm not trying to go down a racist road. I'm using this metaphorically. Um, and it kind of stems from this idea of, you know, being in bed with power. You know, if if the... Maybe I should change the metaphor because I don't really want to go down that road. But of racial, racial purity or something like this. <coughs> um, yeah. I'm going to stop talking about that. But I think you get what I mean. Um, when whatever whatever we mix ourselves with, the product is going to be maybe not quite what we wanted, right? It will be a little bit. It, it will resemble what we wanted, but it's going to resemble whatever it was mixed with as well. You know, it's, it's like... trying to make uh, delicious coffee uh, but instead of using water uh, you use orange juice <laughs> I don't know what that would be like but, uh, instead of using pure water you, you mix it with orange juice because coffee is a marriage of both both the coffee bean and the water right and, and you know you add uh, heat all kinds of other things like roasting and you know all this stuff to make coffee but basically it's a marriage of, of two two substances the the water should be pure the water should be hot uh, the coffee should be fresh it should be roasted well but basically it's that idea yes I'm a coffee nerd not apparently as bad as my daughter but but I'm a coffee nerd and while we're on coffee, I am drinking a delicious latte that I made this morning. Uh, I believe the bean is uh, Tanzania Double A. Uh, it was uh, part of a sample roast. We got a bag of, I don't know, thirty different, uh, thirty different roasts of thirty different beans uh, at the cafe. Partner at, and uh, yeah, I got to keep all the samples, so I've been sampling all kinds of different espresso, mostly dark roast, which works better for espresso. Uh, not overly dark. None of these were oily beans, which is nice. Anyway, off the subject. Um, things that have come across my Facebook feed this week uh, had to do with, of course gun control um, we know that in Uvalde Texas um, 21 people 22 people 
uh, lost their lives several weeks ago and there's been a another big push for greater gun control and, and uh, you know a, and we we have the same thing we have this we have these people throwing up their hands and saying guns are not the problem right if somebody is evil if somebody wants to do evil they'll use whatever they have guns are not the problem and on the other hand, you have people saying guns are the problem. If there are no guns in the country, then then it's it's more difficult to kill people. You you know it's it's not that easy. Making a bomb is not easy to do without killing yourself, and and knives just aren't as efficient. So guns make killing way too efficient. So why not just get rid of them all and make the country a safer place? Okay, uh, and those are the two arguments basically uh, where do I what, what do I think um, first of all I want to say that this is not a political thing uh, for me I think it is a political thing for a lot of people uh, but for me this is the politics of this uh, don't matter so much um, you know for me it, it's it's solely about you know what's best for the best for the greatest number of people, right? Uh, and and not what's practical, right? Uh, I believe trying to figure out what's practical is is you know it's a futile thing because we're always um, capable of more than we think we are. I think I think humans are, are quite amazing in that when we use our imagination uh, and we're not hindered by um, you know, words like practical or affordable, uh, that if we put our minds to it, we can come up with all kinds of great solutions for uh, all kinds of problems that we face. Um, so I'm going to, I think I will just talk a little bit about this idea of gun control and what I think is the, the way to go from my standpoint. So let me give you my history of, of guns and uh, where, you know, what they've meant to me. So uh, my dad grew up uh, for at least a lot of his life in the country. And in the country, whether you're on farms or, you know, uh, in the desert or whatever, guns are kind of just a natural thing to have around. Um, Sometimes you need to protect uh, your livestock or uh, your crops from different vermin and animals. And also sometimes you needed to feed your family, uh, you know, to get some fresh meat or whatever. Uh, and so my dad grew up around guns and guns were not a, an obsession in his family as far as I can tell, nor with any of his brothers. I don't, I don't see any of his brothers as being people who are obsessed with guns, um, which is really good. In fact, I, don't, I, I might have one nephew who I think may be a little bit obsessed with guns, but other than that, I really don't know too many people in my immediate family who are obsessed with guns. Nonetheless, uh, me being my dad's first son, he bought me a uh, 22, uh, I believe it was a Savage rifle, 
uh, when I was uh, five years old. When I was five, I got my first gun. Uh, and I'm not talking about a BB, BB gun. This was a gun that shoots actual bullets uh, that could kill a small animal. Well, they could kill, kill people if you hit them right, but uh, basically a small game rifle. And I had one when I was five. Now, what, is it, what does it mean to have a gun in my family? Well, all it meant was that if we went out uh, with dad, that he would bring the gun and then he would carefully, in a safe place, load it and put it into our hands and maybe let us squeeze the trigger while he was uh, hovering over us, kind of thing. That's what it meant for me to have a gun at five. Uh, we never had loaded guns in the house. We never kept guns in our car for uh, protection from people. We never had our guns loaded in the house for protection. We never used them for protection. They weren't, they weren't ever there for anything other than maybe a little hunting and just sport. My dad, being a mechanically minded person, I think he just fell in love with the idea of guns. He liked how they work. They were interesting machines to him, uh, and and there is a, you know, there is a, a romanticism around guns and Americans. Um, because they're, you know, part of our, part of our heritage, our history, the way the history is told, the, the gun is very prominent in all of American history, uh, from the revolution, uh, revolutionary war, uh, through the civil war. And, you know, we can kind of mark the time by the guns that were invented and, and the guns that were used, um, you know, which were we had the, the Minutemen, which were a famous uh, militia who fought the British, uh, who used muskets, basically hunting guns, to fight the British back in the, uh, you know, from 1776 on. Uh, and then, you know, in the Battle of 1812, it was all about ships and artil artillery and, and, uh, Old Ironsides, which was a, uh, a big boat that was a weapon with lots of cannons. And, and then the Civil War came around with the repeater revolvers and, and the introduction of rifles and uh, the first machine guns, which are called Gatling guns, things like this. And uh, uh, then you get into World War One, and you had other kinds of artillery and different kinds of guns and more uh, machine guns that, that had cartridges and things like this. And you get into World War II, which was, I believe, uh, the introduction of the M16 rifle. Uh, you get into, uh, you know, it's just every war, and Ameri American boys, at least my age or, or older, uh, we kind of know all this stuff because we we glorify war in America. And one of the reasons, one of the ways we do that is by labeling all American wars just uh, and benevolent. Like we only go to war if we're helping somebody kind of thing. Uh, and so that's how we've written the narrative of war and guns. And I grew up in that environment just like everybody else. But for whatever reason, my dad was a pacifist. 
I'd like to say it's because he believed in Jesus. He, he read his Bible. He knew what, that Jesus was nonviolent, that, that Jesus never, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, encouraged his uh, followers to solve problems with violence, and, and so they didn't. And I think, I think my dad saw that. All Christians don't see that, and I'm not sure how he feels about that today. Right? There's a there's a weird part about my dad too, um, as far as violence goes. That because he is a biblicist, he he really believes that the Bible means exactly what he says. I think he believes in uh, somewhat the idea of of the God of Calvin that 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 God can kill and does kill. I think he just believes that we're not supposed to be the ones to do it, that God can do it unilaterally, but he doesn't use us to do it kind of thing. I have a feeling my dad believes in something like that, that he believes that God is sometimes just. Um, in taking life, I don't believe, I, I personally don't believe God takes life, uh, that, that that's against the character of God, he is just the opposite. He is the life giver, the life creator. He is not the life destroyer. Anyway, I've kind of gone off a tangent, but I'm trying to explain why I think my dad grew up as a pacifist. He did not believe in war, the wars of America. He did not want to go to war. Uh, and so he was, I believe he was drafted to Vietnam, but he was filed as a conscientious objector. And so he, uh, he ended up not going at all. They let him off the hook, and that's good for me, because uh, I think I had a dad that was, uh, I think, saved from the ravages of war um, that a lot of other people didn't. And I think, I think there are things that happen to men's, not just the men themselves, but their families and their kids having experienced some of that, the nastiness of that. Anyway, uh, be that as it may, back to the gun issue. Uh, so we, we were always taught to be really safe with guns, to be very careful, to not play with guns, uh, to respect their power. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, even if you're hunting, you carry a gun in a certain way, you leave the safety on, um, you don't don't compromise uh, your life or anybody else's life without gun safety. So that's how I was brought up to have guns. Now, I live in Japan now, so I haven't owned a gun in forever, you know. I think while I was in the States, I always owned a rifle of some kind. Um, but, you know, didn't really get much chance to shoot it. And, and uh, so, yeah, um... That's my history with guns, and I've hunted a few times and and uh, things like that. But uh, in general, I'm my father's son in that respect. And, and if I lived in the states, I think I would probably hunt some uh, and enjoy owning a rifle or two. Um, but I still don't think I would ever have a handgun. Uh, for protection against bad people. Um, 
All right, so be that as it may, uh, there's a problem, right? There's a, there's a huge rift in America based on gun control. Now, people insist on making it political, that if you believe this, you must be from that party. If you believe that, you must be from that party or whatever. Uh, I, I don't think it has to be political. I think, I think you can have an opinion uh, on, on guns and gun control without politics. And I think especially we should listen to the people uh, who, have, who are survivors uh, of gun violence or uh, who have lost people to gun violence. Uh, I think we really need to listen to them. Because those, those people, if we continue to worship violence and to worship guns, uh, I, I think the chances, your chances increase uh, greatly to, to the point where you may become a victim of, of guns or gun violence. Now, it could happen to anybody, right? So here's the thing. So the one side says that um, the answer to gun violence is good guys with guns, right? In other words, good citizens who have guns who can use them in a situation to stop another person with a gun. That the answer to gun violence is more guns. Teachers should have guns. Principals should have guns. More armed policemen on campuses. Uh, that guns, more guns, are the are the answer to gun violence. And of course, on one level, you're like, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Um, so if if my village is being attacked by wild animals, if I had an animal to protect me from those wild animals, it might be good. And that's why dogs kind of came around, right? Uh, dogs, um, I think, were trained uh, initially to kind of be alarms and protectors uh, from attacks by wild animals, right? They, they have very good senses. They know uh, when something has come into camp, right? They hear them, they smell them, uh, and then they start barking, and maybe they even attack for us, right? That's kind of what animals do. And, yeah, on one level you can say, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's how you protect, but there are other ways, you know, there are other ways to do it. Uh, you can live in areas where there aren't so many wild animals, right? You can move. Uh, you can try to tame the animals. You can, you can find ways to, to coexist uh, with the animals by, for one thing, not, not taking away their prey, right? Not taking away their habitat. All kinds of things um, that you might try that would preclude you getting a, a big, scary dog to protect you, right? And uh, the other part of that is big, scary dogs sometimes uh, attack their owners. That does happen from time to time. Uh, they cause pain because they're not as controllable as you think they are. And usually the, the big, scary ones are not as tame as you think they are. Um, especially if they're bred as guard dogs, they may attack sometime where you didn't want them to. That does happen. Um, the wild comes out of even tame animals once in a while. Um, 
that happens with guns. Owners shoot themselves all the time, right? It's not it's not an uncommon thing. And kids wander in and find their parents' uh, firearms and accidentally shoot themselves or their siblings or their friends. This happens as well. Accidental gunshots are something that happen when you keep uh, firearms uh, not locked up and you keep them loaded or you keep the uh, ammunition close to them or with them. Right? So what, am I, what do I think the answer is? Well, I, I think a very practical thing to do uh, is make it more difficult to get guns. And I don't mean more expensive, uh, although that might be something that we talk about. That's what they've done in Japan. Just make it a bit more difficult to get them. I'm not sure Walmart is the best place to sell guns. Uh, perhaps firearms should be sold by government-regulated entities uh, who are staffed uh, with people who uh, have the time and the know-how to, to do background checks. Uh, and, and frankly, have the, have the authority to refuse to sell to different people. Um, some people just shouldn't buy guns. In retrospect, I think, I think everybody, any, any person, no matter what your political affiliation is, or your race, or your religion, or your gender, or your sexual preference, everybody, every one of us would have stopped uh, this young high schooler this 18-year-old high schooler from buying those guns that he bought, knowing what he would do. We all would have stopped him. And we would have taken pretty extreme measures to do it, some of us. Right? We would have stopped him. Oh, wow, that's going to be a convenience store right there. That's a good location. Um, we all would have stopped him for do from doing what he did had we known what he was going to do. And for me, I, I would give up guns completely and the ability to own guns at all if I knew that it would save even one child, much less 19 children and, and two adults. I, I'd give them up completely to save those lives, to save people from that pain. And it's not just those people who died that day, you know. All, all of those parents feel dead right now or they want to die. That's how bad their pain is. That's how angry they are. That's how hurt they are. They will never recover. Now I hope at some point they will move on a bit that they will they will get on with their life to some extent. Uh, but but they're changed. They're changed. Right, they, they, there's no going back. Um, they can't. They are no longer the people they were before those shots rang out. They have been permanently altered. They have been changed. Uh, 
they are going to be going through horrible depression uh, and anger and sadness and rage and suicidal thoughts. Uh, they're going to question their entire existence. All because we couldn't keep guns out of the hands of an 18-year-old teenager. Right? All, all because we think uh, it's more important that this 18-year-old guy be able to get his guns than the possibility that he'd go and shoot uh, these beautiful children. Three weeks ago, I think it was, I did a podcast called uh, Might As Well Face It, You're Addicted to Guns. Um, I was trying to be cute with that title. But there's nothing cute about what happened. Nothing at all. Um, it's a tragedy on the highest level. Uh, and the way we, we react to it uh, is telling. Now, do I think that certain types of guns should be uh, outlawed? Yeah, I think so, probably. And, we, and society's already done that, right? We've already outlawed automatic weapons. Automatic, automatic weapons are out, outlawed. They're, they're not lawful for, the, uh, for citizens to carry and to use because we've deemed them too dangerous. They've been deemed too dangerous to have around automatic weapons. Now, semi-automatic weapons, which is what this guy used, I believe, uh, are, they can't shoot quite as many bullets, right? Um, they take a little bit more accuracy, a little bit more training to use, but, you know, when you're close in, in close range to what you're shooting, it, it really doesn't matter too much. Uh, but we've already outlawed that. We've outlawed people uh, owning, say, hand grenades, bombs of any kind, right? You're not allowed to make your own bomb. You're not allowed to own a bomb. Uh, now, you may or may not be able to get dynamite, depending on the license that you acquire and, and you know, your, your line of work. Um, there are certain explosives that are used outside of war, obviously, for mining and things like this. But um, we've already made those decisions, right? Uh, a you, you can't go fly an airplane without being trained on an airplane, without a license, without taking the time to know how to use it. You can't drive a car, right? Because we know that these things are too dangerous for people to use without training. They're just too dangerous. They, 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 they can be too painful. They cause pain and hurt when in the wrong hands. And guns are no different. Uh, gun safety, I will tell you, from being around people who've held guns for the first time, they do not understand the power 
that a gun has. They, they point them in places they shouldn't point them. Uh, they are way too cavalier with the awesome power of a gun. And you just put the gun in the hands of a, you know, a kid from Japan, for example, who's never had one. And you'll see that he'll turn and look at people with the gun pointing right at them. He'll, you know, look at the barrel. He'll turn it around and look at it. And, and it's just normal, right? People are not familiar with uh, the awful power that the gun is. A gun is incredibly good at doing what it was designed to do, and that's kill. It's really good at it. Um, it was designed to be good at it. They've, they've perfected it. They've made better bullets. Uh, bullets that kill more efficiently and effectively. Uh, bullets that go farther and faster and more accurate. Right? They've worked on guns and gotten them to where they're really good at killing. That's what the gun is designed for. That's what the gun is for. Uh, and that's what the gun does well. Um, so, bottom line. Bottom line. Lives are not worth... Uh, the lives of children. The lives of anybody. Is not worth my freedom to own a gun. My right to own a gun. It's not worth it to me. It's not worth it at all. And for sure, if it was my child, you know, I'd feel differently. And if it's your child, you'd feel differently too. Just, just go talk to the parents. Listen to what they say. People who experience this, they would give up their right to have that gun to get their child back in a minute, whether they did before, before the tragedy happened or not. This is what tragedy does, right? The closer you are to the tragedy, the more it's going to reveal your character and what you actually believe. Tragedy reveals who we are. It reveals who you are. Disaster, tragedy, whatever, what have you. It is identity exposing. And when push comes to shove, these people would give up their rights to own guns to get their child back. Now for what it's worth, this kid who killed all these other kids, he was a victim of violence himself. He was a victim of bullying uh, perhaps bad parenting. He was a victim of society. He was a victim in the in the you know in the sense that he lived in a society that idolizes guns and worships violence. Um, he was a victim as well. So the question is: Is this worship of violence creating the killers? as well as the victims? I'd have to say so. I think so. I think so. Uh, 
much of the world still believes that violence is a legitimate way and the best way to solve problems. Um, now, the other thing that happened uh, my Facebook feed is I, I posted something about deconstructing religion and something that was sort of unrelated. But one thing that did come up is that I, I commented on that post. I, I copied somebody else's post. And then I commented on the post and I said, if Christians no longer follow Christ, then the word Christian has lost all meaning. Right? If Christians no longer follow Christ, then the word Christian has lost its meaning. Uh, if you can be a Christian and be anti-Christ, then the word Christian no longer means anything. And that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a, a so-called Christian nation, a, a, a country that by and large identifies as Christian. And I would say these people who are against gun control, uh, I would say of all them, I bet 85 to 90% of them identify as Christian. So if Christians are worshiping guns and violence, which is obviously anti-Christ and anti-Jesus and anti-the way of Jesus and anti-the teachings of Jesus, then the word Christian no longer means anything. Right? It's, it's completely lost its meaning. Uh, okay, so you're Christian. Fine. Christian equals violence. Christian uh, equals unchristlike. Okay, fine. I can I can lose the word Christian. I'm not married to the name Christian. I haven't been for a long time. Uh, but still, I think it should be a wake-up call to some of us. I'm hoping there's some low-hanging fruit that when they hear these kinds of things, that maybe it'll just jiggle something loose in their brain to where they go, hmm... Let me think about that. Is there anybody that could do that? And a lot of a lot of the things that people are afraid of, the, the fear that people have of losing guns, is that it won't just be guns. One day it'll be their religion and their church. That if we start with guns, it's, we're going to be on this slippery slope. Uh, that if you try to, if the, if we let the government control our guns, then they're going to try to control our religion too. Okay, well that just proves to me that your guns are your religion. That is your religion. That's why you put it on the same plane as religion. Your belief system uh, has to do with more about your rights, uh, the way you see your rights as an American and less about Christ. And yet you still want to be called Christian. You wouldn't want to be known as anything but Christian. You think that label Christian is somehow going to save your soul. But what you don't see is your soul is already lost. Your soul doesn't belong to Christ. Christ, the anointed one, is as revealed to us in Jesus, right? You're your soul is already lost and and 
far from, far from Christ. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be saved, and I would never say such a thing like that. That's not what I'm saying at all, right? It's, it has nothing to do with your final salvation. But I believe, and I, I hope I'm not the only one, I believe salvation has to do with this life on earth right now. We are saved now, right? When we follow Christ, we go from the darkness into the light. We go from death to life. Um, we, we go from condemnation to salvation now. And we're able to, to share that with other people. I have to go. I'm going to be late to work. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. Have a good day. Bye-bye.